1: It is so good to see everyone of y'all out there. I'm Pastor Brandon, one of the pastors on staff here at North Main Street Church of God. If you are joining us online, we welcome you. And a shout out to one of my little buddies. He's actually been kind of sick and hasn't been able to be here. His name is Lyle Prescott. Can everybody here say hi to Lyle? Lyle, love you, buddy. Okay. All right. I'll check with you again later in case you didn't catch that one. All right, Uh, we have a few things for you this morning. So glad that you were here. Um, If you're a first-time guest with us today or have been within the past few weeks, we would love for you to fill out a communication card, drop it off at the Welcome Center before you leave today. If you've already done that, fantastic. But we have a special gift for you there, and they are fresh baked Ooh, that whistled—fresh-baked Goods. We have this amazing recipe that Dave Wilson, our resident chef, has found, and uh, they are some of the best chocolate chip cookies you will probably ever eat in your life, and that's not really inflating that too much, okay? They were fresh baked this morning in the oven, walked down the hallway, wafting this aroma, and nobody else could have them but our first-time guests, so you're lucky if you got some, all right? All right. So make sure to do that, fill out a communication card, stop by and get your fresh baked goods this morning. All right, let's see what else I have on my list here. Uh, We'll be celebrating high school graduates and college graduates on June the 6th. If you are going to be graduating from high school or somebody in your household is going to be graduating from high school or from college, whether it's community college, a four-year college, a graduate school, please let us know. We would love to honor you on June the 6th. Uh, You can register on our website under the Events tab at the top of our homepage or at the Welcome Center, or you can call the church office this week if you'd like to know more about how to register for that. If you have items for our military care packages, please make sure to bring those in by May the 30th. That is Memorial Day weekend. We have several of you have been blessing uh, us by bringing those in and we do have several military officials that we will be sending these care packages to I would also add if you know of a military personnel either abroad at uh, uh, across the globe or even state or stateside let us know if they could benefit from a care package we'll get them on the list and we'll send them a care package as well all right Um, And last but not least, our church app. We actually have a church app. You can download a church app on your mobile phone. You can uh, visit www.northmain and click on the My North Main tab to find more information. But go on. If you see that little cross, purple surrounded white cross there, that is the app you will look for. Uh, And if you just want to go on to our website, you can do that, all right? Am I boring the snot out of you? I mean, it has been a pollen week. There's a green dust everywhere, and snot has been flowing freely. But am I boring the snot out of you? All right. Well, good. We actually have an interview this morning. I don't know if you are aware of this, but I'm going to go ahead and call Justin Miller forward. He is the commissioner of our Upward Basketball and Cheerleading program. Justin, glad you're coming up here. Um. I don't know if you realize this or not, but last year we had a few complications as we were kind of closing out the season of Upward. We barely made the end of the season before we ended up having to um, shut down everything going into the pandemic. So I'll have you have a seat. We're going to spend about an hour up here. So I think you're going to love it. Yeah, I think it's going to be great. So um, I... uh, I do want to ask how this season has gone in light of all of the mandates and the different things we've had to do to adapt to actually make upward a reality this year. So how's it been going and what's that looked like? Yeah. Oh, let me turn. Yeah. Yeah. Let me see. I think you have to throw it down.
2: Oh, there it is. Go ahead. Okay. it was a little bit of a challenge to begin with because uh, we were supposed to have a fourth through sixth grade league uh, starting in November, and then with the shutdowns happening, we ended up having to cancel that league, which uh, our families were pretty sad about, but we ended up having to have it later this spring, which we're finishing up right now, which was exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, we put a lot of different restrictions in place, spectator policy restrictions and things like that, cleaning, um, Mandating mass and I tell you what our families just did an amazing job adhering to them we would we had like a big circle flow so we, we... All the families walk all the steps up to the life center. So if you've not walked the steps from the gym or from the gym parking lot the whole way up, it can be a daunting task. And uh, it was nice that they were able to follow those and did a great job of not just keeping our athletes safe, but keeping everybody there safe. So yeah, uh, small challenges.
1: Small challenges. But I love the way Upward does this. I mean, we really—it's such a highlight of of North Main Street Church of God. Uh, And Honestly, it's due specifically not only to the families that bring their kids to be a part of this, but to the leadership we have uh, over upward. And how many coaches do we actually, you have to recruit for coaches every year. How many, our numbers have grown so much. How many coaches do you normally have to recruit for kindergarten all the way through sixth grade in a given season?
2: Um, I would have to say we had anywhere between 60 to 70 coaches this year. So yeah, that's quite a few.
1: Okay, shameless plug for children's ministry. We can't get that many children's ministry volunteers, but you can get coaches, 60 to 70 volunteers.
2: I, uh, I beg, I cry, I whine, I, uh, I, I make promises I don't keep. Um, no. You know, this is being
1: recorded and broadcast <laughs> oh, live. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs>
2: no, uh, our, the strength of our league is actually our coaches. Uh, They really believe in what we're doing, not just uh, putting all the focus on the kids, but they also do a great job of knowing what we're doing with the bigger picture, and that's bringing these kids and their families closer to Christ. Um, It's pretty cool now. We've gotten to the point. Our coaches are recruiting coaches, so they're like, no, you need to be a part of this, so they're bringing – other people into this and uh, our coaches are by far the strength of our league
1: that's awesome so there's a spiritual component so these coaches do devotionals at every halftime or no excuse me at every practice, and then there's a halftime devotional, and you you have to recruit for that too, or you do them, or Melissa, or I will do them too, uh, where they're at the halftime, where you normally have a halftime show, uh, is a devotional, a gospel presentation of Christ at those moments. And some a lot of times they're done by object lessons, team building things, but it's always with the focus of Scripture and Christ as well. So could you give me some highlights of the season Um at least this season maybe, maybe previous season, um, that really stand out to you about the success of this program?
2: Yeah, the, the, the initial goal was try to be the best basketball and cheerleading league in the community. And uh, what's nice is we've been able to accomplish that. But the secondary goal is, uh, is you want to get these families to get closer to Christ. So by having the best basketball community, that's what gets the people in the doors. But then you're able to really uh, establish those relationships with those families and let them grow. And what's cool is our coaches, with their buy-in, yeah, every single week they're doing a devotion on different topics. We're talking about perseverance, cooperation, hope. This week will be a gospel message since it's our last week. And, uh, and those coaches are really helping these kids uh, just grow in their faith. And the halftime devotions, those are for the parents. Um, It was pretty cool because it was a couple years ago. We were like, okay, we're going to do our halftime devotion. And uh, we heard one member kind of talk to the person beside him be like, what's a devotion? Mm -hmm. And that's when I knew we were starting to reach the community. We were starting to really reach the lost
1: yeah that 's pretty awesome I think um, what we 've been doing I know Melissa has been a crucial part of this in helping to do uh, parent surveys and feedback at the end of each season and if uh, If you go ahead and put these up here, one of the responses from the parent survey feed uh, and feedback was I love the fact that it 's based on being positive uh scriptures god and so much more it's such a great environment for children now, another person said the program is very well organized and planned out nicely thanks to its leadership the tryout evaluation session was well organized and i like how the students all supported each other finally our coaches for both of our boys uh, teams were amazing um the next one was, we love our pro. Or we love the program because it incorporates truth in the Bible, and basketball skills. Our son learned to love the sport and also learned to keep trying. He made a lot of improvements this season. And finally, one other person said, "I love everything about the program. The focus on God first and learning how to be a good team member. Uh, it's the highlight of our week." So. Um, kudos to you and your team. Uh, I want to give you a few stats, if you could see those from back there. We started back in 2014, and we've had multiple seasons uh, leading up to this year. It's really crazy how long we've had this program here. But if you notice, we had 69 players our first year. And when we sent off a group to the Upward Conference, they said, you'll be lucky to have 20 to 30 kids your first year. We ended up having close to 70 kids. The next year, we had 87 kids. 2016, we had 115 players plus 14 cheerleaders that year. Uh, We had 145 and 20 2017, 2018, 169 players and 22 cheerleaders. 2019, we had a total of 241 students. And then finally, pre-pandemic, before everything hit the fan, we had 293 kids between basketball and cheerleading. And this is just kindergarten through sixth grade. Uh, And even with the pandemic, our numbers this past year... uh, Or 235 between cheerleading and basketball. So, just an amazing outreach opportunity, kids being blessed to learn a sport, the skills of a sport, but also uh, in a positive environment uh, to learn about Christ. Um, Our increase of 325% in participants over eight years. that's pretty awesome.
2: Pretty cool is even this year, uh, even though our numbers were down a little bit, we've had well over 1,000 different people between parents, grandparents, siblings, aunts and uncles. Um, I didn't know if the church knew this, but we have church every Saturday all day long. And over 1,000 people in our community get to come to church.
1: Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And let me... Uh... Let me add this. We'll wind this down a little bit, but we've provided over 30 scholarships through the years for kids to participate who financially weren't able to be a part, would not have been able to be a part of the program. And those scholarships have been provided through various different resources. Tell me about one of those specifically.
2: Yeah, um, usually our scholarships are through um, our Snack Shack, and our Snack Shack volunteers are able to raise fun. Uh, Dave Pittman has done an amazing job with our Snack Shack. Uh, Kim Smith has run it last year. But during the pandemic, we couldn't have it because we couldn't have food and things like that, so that really shut that down. But what was really cool, last year, um, Ethan Morton got Gatorade Pennsylvania Player of the Year. So he chose Upward.
1: Um, Ethan Ward was one of the high school basketball players for Butler, right? Yes. Yeah,
2: yeah. So he chose Upward um, for his – because each player that won this throughout the country gets a $1,000 grant to donate to a local sports league, and he donated that to Upward, which was amazing because that was able to provide scholarships for families in need because at Upward, we will never, ever turn a kid away. mm Mm
1: -mm. last but not least i'll let our media person show you some of the pictures for the season while we kind of wrap things up here just to give you since you haven't been able maybe to get down there this is the gymnasium underneath our life center and these are photos uh, from the past season or two of of, uh, what's been going on downstairs. And you can just loop through those if you want to. I won't describe every one of them. But uh, do you have anything closing you'd like to kind of tell us about or plug before we conclude our time together?
2: Yeah, real quick, um, because this church has been so supportive of this ministry. um, Can I have everybody stand up who's either coached, played, given a devotion, helped out behind the scenes, financially, because you are Upward. You're the one that made it happen. So if you've been a part of Upward in seasons past, go ahead and stand up.
1: Come on, y'all.
2: Don't be shy, because you are Upward. Thank you so, so much.
1: One final thing. Again, Upward takes countless, countless hours, (laughs) countless volunteers. Um, I've never seen a program run as smoothly um, without really any major glitches. And if there have been major glitches, they've just kind of paled in comparison to the star leadership we have. And I know he, we would have never been able to get him on the stage if we thought we were going to honor him. So we used the ploy of talking about Upward. I love you. Um, to get him up here. Um, we have a card for you with a little gift inside uh, because we know it's a thankless job at times. And I know every time I talk to you about this, you're like, honestly... I love this. You're there all day Saturday. This year and even last year, it's from 8 in the morning to 8 o'clock at night every Saturday and nonstop. And he's there before it opens and after it closes and even throughout the week as a coach for a team. So, I mean, he's putting in above and beyond what I could have ever asked or imagined or anybody else could and and the success of that program yes is due to all the volunteers but without a great leader uh, to follow that that would all fall apart so I want to tell you how much I appreciate you and I would love for us to thank Justin and Amy and their family for being such great great leaders so kudos thank you. to you brother love you Thank you. Take a bow. <laughs> At this time, we don't normally take up offering anymore. We got rid of the offering plates, and I know that was a pandemic thing. Honestly, we had been talking about getting rid of them prior to that, Um in having drop boxes throughout the facility, which we now have installed. And so if you came prepared to give today a financial offering, you can put them in one of our secure drop boxes across the facility to help with the ongoing ministries of North Main Street Church of God. You could also give Online at www.northmaincog.org in the top right-hand corner of our website, you'll notice a give tab. You can text to give, which I don't have that information right in front of me, uh, or you can mail in your offering as well. Uh, there's so many different ways. I guess I would add this caveat, and I hate to talk about money. I grew up in a church and in a culture where all the church wanted was your money. I we are not one of those churches, but I'll be honest with you. Um, It takes money to do ministry, and this church is truly making an impact, as you saw, through our Upward program and ministries like that, that we will be highlighting for you in the coming months uh, and years ahead, Um, and, and I don't do that as a shameless plug. I do that to say, listen, if you consider this your home church, if this is the place that you consider to be where you're going to plant yourself. I guess I would ask you if you would consider giving giving regularly to the ongoing uh, ministries at North Main Street Church of God. Uh, With that, I'm going to say a word of prayer, and we'll get started with worship. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love, your mercies, which are new every morning. Thank you for your patience and long-suffering when we are insufferable. I pray, Heavenly Father, in The course of our time together this morning that the sweet aroma of praise that is offered to you would be pleasing and that Heavenly Father not only the gifts of worship and praise but the written word that we will be reading in a little while would be pleasing to you don't let your word go forth void in this place this day change lives transform hearts conform wills to your way in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. As I mentioned earlier, there's a little gentleman joining us. As there are many of you joining us online, but there's a special little kid joining us online this morning. He's five years old. His name is Lyle. He's been on our prayer list for a couple weeks now. Um, I was taken to Children's Hospital. Uh, he's sick, and he needs our prayers. And so I want you to know, Lyle, that We have probably one of the largest services we've had post-pandemic in this place today that are going to contend in prayer for you right now. So I would like to send out a word of prayer to you, Lyle, and to Gina and Dave and Judd at home. Uh, Know that even though you can't be here, we are there with you. So let me say a word of prayer for you, Lyle, okay? Father, Lyle is a beautiful child. Was created and knit together in his mother's womb. He is fearfully and wonderfully made, God. You did that. But God, we also know that our bodies in this life are prone to sickness. But God, we know you are the great physician and the Lord over all creation, that nothing is impossible for you. So we pray right now, even at the sound of our prayer in this location, that our prayers would reach Lyle where he is and his family to not only bring peace and comfort, but God to bring a healing touch to his little body. We ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. How do you transition from that to anger? Because today's message is on anger. And how, how do you find peace in the midst of anger? How many of you have ever been angry? And those of you that haven't raised your hands are lying through your teeth. I'm just kidding. I'm not calling you a liar. Yes, I am. So anger is a natural human emotion. But I've tried to figure out where does anger come into play in God's design for humanity. You see, I don't think anger existed before the fall of humankind. Because there was no need for the emotion of anger in the garden before sin entered the world. There was nothing to be angry at or about or to be what the kids' lingo today is, cringeworthy. Unless there's another word that I'm missing out on. All right? All right? Right? I mean, what is it that you get angry about? Well, in order to know what it is you might get angry about, it's good to know the definition of the term anger. So I looked up the definition, and this is what anger means according to the dictionary. It means a strong feeling of displeasure. Have you ever had a strong feeling of displeasure? Or a strong feeling of displeasure and belligerence aroused by a wrong It's also known as wrath or ire. Have you ever felt those things? Have you ever wanted to pour out your own wrath upon somebody or a group of people? So is it wrong to be angry? It depends. Okay, that's not a simple yes or no question. Because there is a righteous anger that we can have But then there's a human side of anger that is destructive. So let me just give you the background and the basis for our discussion today. I'm not going to be talking about righteous anger, but rather the destructive power of human anger. Righteous anger is not anger specifically at a person, but rather at the evil that manifests itself through people, groups, nations, and circumstances. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 that our war or our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against your neighbor, though it seems to play out in that arena. Our battle is a spiritual battle for the hearts, the minds, and the souls of God's creation, of God's creatures, of God's humankind. And so our anger, rightly directed in a righteous way, is toward the real enemy. We call him Satan, the devil. We call him this lion roaming and prowling around, seeking whom he may devour. At least that's what Peter said about him in his letters. We call him a wolf in sheep's clothing. But the battle we fight against is a spiritual battle, and there is a real enemy, and it's not the person sitting next to you. It's not the person in your workplace. It's not any number of people that you may feel oppressed by. There is a real enemy, and he's the one that the real battle should be fought against. Now, human anger does not bring about oftentimes righteous behavior. And let me get to that today. Did you know anger has destructive power on the human body? I looked up this article uh, this week, and if you want to look it up, you can. Uh, Just see me after the service, and I'll direct you to where that is. But sometimes anger, though it can be good for you, is oftentimes bad for you if it's unresolved. And let me explain. An angry outburst can put your heart at risk. Most physical damage uh, most physically damaging is anger's effect on the cardiac health. Listen to this: In the two hours after an angry outburst, the chance of having a heart attack doubles," says um, Dr. Chris Aiken, an instructor in clinical uh, psychiatry at Wake Forest University School of Medicine. Listen to what, he, what else he says. He says, repressed anger. This is anger that's not lashed out in an outburst, but it's something you hold in. This repressed anger, where you express it indirectly or you go to great lengths to control it and hold on to it, is associated with heart disease. Did you know that? In fact, one study found that people with anger proneness, you are prone to anger. Do you find yourself getting angry a lot? not trying to step on your toes. I don't know if you're angry or not. You might be angry at me right now. That's okay. I can deal with it. In a one study found that people with anger proneness as a personality trait were at twice the risk of coronary disease than their less angry peers. Anger also ups your risk of stroke. Did you know that? One study found that there was a three times higher risk of having a stroke from a blood clot to the brain or bleeding within the brain during the two hours after an angry outburst. For people with an aneurysm in one of the brain's arteries, there was a six times higher risk of rupturing this aneurysm following an angry outburst. Side, side note, um, I was angry once. <laughs> Just once. Once. Actually, there was a time period back when we lived in Dayton, Ohio. I was an angry person. I just was. And my wife can tell you, this is full disclosure, I was unbearable to be with. It was caused by stress, difficulties of being the first senior pastor, first senior pastorate I'd ever been at, at this small congregation. They were so gracious enough to allow me to make stupid mistakes, which I did a lot, and probably some of you are saying you're still doing. But, um, but they were gracious enough to allow me to spread my wings and fly, and I crashed more often than flew. And so I was hard on myself, which the stress, and I was insecure, and all of this other junk, and it made me super, super unbearable to live with. It got to the point, even in our marriage, where Sarah Lee was ready to drive three hours south for about a month or longer to give me space because she needed to get herself and the kids out of that environment. I wasn't physically abusive, but I was hateful. I was a horrible person to live with. Thank God he had the mercy enough on me to reveal that to me in a way that I could receive it so that I could make a course correction because I was my personality trait at that time period was anger. And I'll give you a funny example of how that played out one time. We were at Sara Lee's parents' house. We had two small dogs, Max and Abby. Abby was a, um, uh, what was her mix? It was a Pomeranian Chihuahua mix. Really weird looking dog. <laughs> Wasn't fluffy and hairy. Had the short hair like a Chihuahua, the bug eyes, and uh, the yappiness of a Chihuahua, and a Pomeranian combined. She was an easy target this time at Sara Lee's parents' house. <laughs> yip, 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 yip. Sorry if that was loud, but that's what we dealt with. And if you sing at a high-pitched note, she would sing along with you. She was yapping this one specific day at Sara Lee's parents' house while her family was visiting there over a weekend. And I'd had it. And I went I? And I felt something pop in my neck. And I was like, oh! You remember that episode, don't you? And I couldn't straighten my neck up. When I stood up, I was still angry. And then everybody else was laughing, which made me angrier. All that to say, anger has physical effects on the body. I digress. Anger can weaken your immune system. Did you know that? One Harvard study um, scientist found that in healthy people, simply recalling an angry experience from their past can cause a six-hour dip in levels of the antibody immunoglobulin. Did I say that right, doctors, in here? Immunoglobulin? Okay, thank you. Immunoglobulin. um, A, Uh, it's the cell's first line of defense against infection. So even if you're recalling an angry, a a moment that makes you angry from your past, it makes your immune system, that immunoglobulin A drop down for a six-hour period, making you more vulnerable to sickness. Number four, anger uh, problems can make your anxiety worse. In a 2012 study published in the Journal of Cognitive Behavior Therapy, researchers found that anger can exacerbate symptoms of generalized anxiety disorder, or GAD. It's actually got an acronym, G-A-D. Generalized anxiety disorder. It's a condition characterized by an excessive and uncontrollable worry that interferes with a person's daily life. Do you ever struggle with constant worry? Don't raise your hand. Two more, three more. Anger also linked to depression. Numerous studies have linked depression with aggression and angry outbursts, especially in men. In depression, passive anger, where you ruminate about it but never take action over a situation, is common. When I was angry in that period of life, I got super depressed. Uh, many of you may not know that aspect of life. I, I, I went to the doctor. I, I, I tried to pray it through. I went to counselors. I finally went to the doctor and said, I'm, I'm in a ditch and I can't get out of it. I've tried to pray my way through it. And it's not that God's not all powerful and all knowing and all, all capable of bringing me out of this, but I just, I'm in a funk and I can't get out of it. And my family's suffering the consequences of just my anger, just displeasure all the time. And And I keep spiraling because when I get more angry, I get more depressed. And when I get more depressed, I get more angry. And it's just, it's a vicious cycle, you know, it's really bad. And so as a last resort, I went to the doctor. I said, I don't know what to do. And he said, well, let's do some blood work and stuff like that. And ended up putting me on an anti-anxiety medication. I've tried to wean off of it in the past and I'm still on it. Full disclosure again. I've prayed, God, free me from the burden of depression and anxiety, and I've weaned myself off, and I found myself spiraling back. God can use medication to bring you out of a funk if you need to be, and that's just where I find myself. But I'm telling you from personal experience, it's true. Anger oftentimes is linked to depression. Circumstantial anger or circumstantial depression can be very damaging, not only to you but to your relationships. Six, hostility can hurt your lungs. If you're not a smoker, you can still have damage to your lungs from anger. A group of Harvard University scientists studied about 670 men over eight years using a hostility scale, scoring a hostility scale scoring method to measure anger levels and assessed. Any changes in the men's lung function, the men with the highest hostility rate had significantly worse lung capacity, which increased the risk of respiratory problems. The researchers theorized that an uptick in stress hormones, which are associated with feelings of anger, creates inflammation in the airways. And lastly, anger can shorten your life, period. Period. Obviously, if it's not heart disease or stroke or those kind of things, it can just normally shorten your life, even if you die of natural causes. Stress is very tightly linked to your health. If you're stressed and angry, you'll shorten your lifespan. A University of Michigan study done over a 17-year period found that couples who hold in their anger have a shorter lifespan than those who readily communicate when they're upset about something. Now, that doesn't mean you have the freedom. Well, he said if I hold it in, so I'm going to let it rip. No! I just said it'll give you heart disease and a stroke or throw your neck out if you're screaming at your dog. No! When you need to get the anger out, there is a way to release that pressure valve to say, we need to have a talk. And when you sit down, at this neutral zone, weapons left at the door. As I tell married couples and pre-married, premarital counseling, as I tell them, leave your weapon. You're going to get angry at each other. You're going to at times feel this extreme intense emotion of displeasure at, at your spouse. You need to have a place where you can release that pressure and not kill each other in the process. Find a neutral zone where you can release the pressure and say, listen, I have some things I need to talk to you about I'm pretty upset about, but I don't want you to get defensive. I just want to work this out with you so that we can unpack why I'm so upset about these things so that we can be reconciled together. You see, that's biblical. That's good. I want to lead you into this story really quickly this morning, and we will briefly look at this because anger... Is, is a pretty cut and dried, I would say, topic if you know how to address it. It comes from our Bible readings, and you should be about in this space right now uh, in your Bible readings in the book of Jonah. It's a four chapter book. I did a series on it a few years ago. If you want to go back and check that out, it's somewhere in our archives online. But uh, Jonah chapter 4 is what I want to focus on today. And let me give you a little backdrop of the story. Jonah, do you remember he got swallowed by a big fish and then vomited out onto dry land? That was fun. It was good times, really, for him. Uh, If you like fish, that's not a bad place to be is in the belly of a big fish. But he was running from God because God had said, listen, there's a city called Nineveh, which was the real corpus or center of the Assyrian empire at the time. The Assyrian empire had been encroaching upon Israel during Jonah's time as a prophet. They were the enemy. They were the great terrorists of the day. The great power of civilization that had been massacring Israelites around the boundaries and cities surrounding the edge of Israel. And God said I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to proclaim judgment on them from me. Be my mouthpiece. Well, guess what? Jonah said, "Uh-uh, they're the enemy. I'm not going there. I'm not going to the heart of the belly of the beast." And so he took a boat, started across the Mediterranean because he was going to Tarshish, which if you look at the coast of where Israel is today, he set off from the port of Joppa, or Joppa, JOPPA, and headed across. He was going to the furthest side. Of the Mediterranean, Tarshish, many scholars believe would have been in part of southern Spain today, if you look on a map. It would have taken a while for me. He would have to go to the furthest point on earth at his day and age to get away from the responsibility of being God's voice of judgment to the nation of Assyria in Nineveh. So God sends a storm. He's on this merchant ship. The boat starts a-rocking. He's down in the belly of the boat sleeping, and the people come down. Dude, how can you be asleep when we're about to drown? And he's like, "Oh, yeah, I know why this is happening. Just throw me over." <laughs> and so, what does what does the crew do? They're like, "No, we're not going to do that. We'll continue to pray to our God. You pray to your God." And he's like, "No, no, no. Seriously, here's the deal. It's my fault." my God, Yahweh, sent me to do something and I'm refusing to do it, so he's angry. If you throw me over in the water, the storm will stop and everything will be okay. Well, they're like, oh, Lord, God of heaven and earth, Don't hold this against us. And so they heave hoed him over the side, and he begins to sink. And he thinks as he's sinking to the depths, this is the end. His life is over. This is his plight in life. And by God's sheer mercy, he sends a fish. We oftentimes call it a whale, but it doesn't say that. It's just a big fish. It could have been, you know, one of those whale sharks. It could have been anything that sucked him in its gullet and swam him for three days (laughs) back to the coast not too far from where he left and goes, Bleh. okay, if you have an easy gag reflex, you probably feel that right now, right? <laughs> if you swallow a human hole, you might want to gag back up. Just saying. So it spits him out on the shore and he finally relents and says, all right, fine, I'll go. And he heads off in that direction. And I'm guessing it's something like this. You know, have you ever told your kid to do something they don't want to do? How quickly do they go get it done? When they finally say, Fine, uh I can picture Jonah doing that. They have to do everything, and then they stomp off. Right? I'm guessing he's not making great time to get there. He finally gets there, and he says, the bare minimum, you guys are dying. Well, see you later. That's all he does but it was enough because they knew he was a Jewish prophet and there was something in their own spirits that said, we need to take this seriously. And so the Ninevites, the Assyrian people of Nineveh, repented of their sin, at least during this time period of Jonah's time. And God had mercy on them and did not destroy the city or the people within it. And this is where we pick up Jonah's story. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah. And he became very what? Angry. Do you know anger is mentioned five times in these short 11 verses? He became very belligerent. He became very displeased with God's choice. So he complained to the Lord about it. you ever complained to the Lord? I have. And I think it's rather funny. Because he's like, yeah, I've heard those complaints before. And not just from you, but from millions of people. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I didn't go. I knew, I knew that if I did what you called me to do, that they would potentially do what they did, and I'm not happy about it. That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, and I'm angry at you. (laughs) I just think it's hilarious. I'm mad because you're merciful and compassionate. Uh, This sounds so adolescent, doesn't it? Slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. I'm angry at you, God. (laughs) This is good. What does he say? What's he say next? Just kill me now. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted, hey, you guys are dying, bleh, doesn't come true. Amen. Kill me now. And the Lord replied, I love this. Is it right for you to be angry about this? And then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sin under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. So I I get this picture of him going out as far away as he can just in in case God decides he's going to follow through with his wrath and kill all the people. And he's setting up a shelter. He pops up a tent and he's like roasting marshmallows. He's sitting there in his anger. Have you ever sat in your anger? Have you ever ruminated in your anger? And hatred. A little bit of that feels good for a while, doesn't it? You feel justified and right to hold on to it because they deserve it. How long do you think he sat out there? We aren't told exactly how long, but he had to sit and wait. He had to sit for a long time. He sat and he waited and he waited and he sat and he sat and he waited and sat. And what happens when you sit in your anger long enough? Does it usually intensify if it's not dealt with? (laughs) Yeah. So, what does the Lord do? Verse 6, the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Now, this wasn't like, it, I, we all get this picture that this happened like, boom, and there's this big tree. He was sitting there for a while. There are plants that grow fast, but usually not overnight. We know the bamboo plant, it will grow small, and then one year it'll shoot up, Right? So there are plants that God has created that have this amazing ability to grow very tall and fast over a short period of time, but it still took time. And so the Lord provided this opportunity for this great big leafy plant to grow, and it becomes somewhat of a shade there on the eastern side of this arid land, just north of what we would call Saudi Arabia, in a region where Iraq more than likely is today. And so he's waiting. This eased his discomfort, though. So how many of you, when you're in your anger and good things start to happen, you think, "See, God's justifying my anger, too. <laughs> so this easing my discomfort, so God must be pleased with me for being angry." And so he waits. But God also arranged for a worm. <laughs> this is awesome. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant right into its very core. And guess what happened? It withered in the desert heat. (laughs) Again, this is pretty awesome. God, and as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. Okay, you're out in the middle of of an arid location where it's already hot, and God's like, <sighs> 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 the heat's, it. let's turn it up a little bit. <laughs> hey, hey guys, come here and watch this. <sighs> he blows this eastern arid, extremely hot wind on a hot, arid location where Jonah is. God's not a God of torture. I just want you to be aware of this. But sometimes God likes to test us to see where our resolves lie. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to, I am for clay up. Oh, dear, I've got the vipers. He's standing out there in the heat. uh, So here he is again. My plant's gone. A worm ate it. Just my luck. And now the wind is even hotter than it was before. (laughs) I'm ready to die. Death is certainly better than living like this. Interestingly enough, God didn't tell Jonah to go wait and watch. He said, go give my message of judgment to the city of Nineveh and your work's done. And Jonah decided to go sit and sulk in his anger, just hoping that maybe God would relent and take out the city. And so God had, I'm guessing, expected him to go back home because he was through with him at that point. I think many of us sit in the anger Of a moment after we've relented and done what God's told us to, but we're still not happy about it. And so we sit and wait. And when God says, okay, you're done, go on back. Don't sit and brood over this, get over it, suck it up. And then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because this plant died? Do you see what God's doing? Plant, human. Plant, human. If you can't distinguish between the two, you got a problem. Sadly, there are people today that can't distinguish between the two. Even in our day and age. cells, human. Plant, human. Person, not a person. Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Jonah still doesn't get it yet, does he? Have you ever shook your head at one of your kids or you're like, okay, there's a great lesson to be learned here and you're missing it. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. I put the plant there. You didn't do anything to get it. And it became, it came quickly and it died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. God's even concerned about animals. Now I don't think he's a part of PETA, but you know what I'm talking about here. Not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry about such a great city? I mean, it's not my desire to wipe them out. I want them to turn and repent, but they're leaving me no choice. And so I'm sending you as my representative to give them one more chance. And actually, that one more chance was all they needed because they came back to me. And I'm rejoicing about this. And you're complaining? And you're even willing to die because a plant that shaded you for a few nights is now dead? Get over it. Have some perspective. God is saying. Here's the key point. Human anger destroys peace from God. You want peace from God? If you don't want peace to be lost in your life, your human anger will destroy it. Here's the first point, and let's rock these through. Human anger clouds a person's ability to love the way that God loves. Human anger destroys the ability to love the way that God loves. How does God love? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. You should love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, Jesus says. You want to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? You have to be the least, you have to be a servant of all. Isn't that countercultural? But and yet, still within the church, we have this mindset that we need to get what's coming to us. And quite honestly, if we really knew what was coming to us and what we really deserved, we wouldn't be saying that. Because what we deserve is hell. Because we've all sinned and fall short of the glorious standard of God. But the reality is there is a Savior who gives us an opportunity to be exempt from hell and from the punishment of eternal damnation by coming to him. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. But human anger in our context clouds the reality of what stands before us that we should love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. You want to do what's right? You need to love. But what does love look like when played out on the human scene? It bears all things, it hopes all things, it believes all things, all of this kind of stuff. We look at 1 Corinthians 13, what is the definition of love? It's patient, it's kind, it's gentle, doesn't boast, doesn't keep a record of wrongs, it's not rude. I see a lot of rude and obnoxious Christians out there throwing their weight around. See, when we go with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we go with love preceding us and saturating us yes it doesn't mean that we gloss over the truth we speak the truth but we are told to speak the truth in what love i see a lot of hateful christians out there pointing fingers to condemnation and judgment when they need to be offering a hand of love you can address sin in a person's life or in a group's life or in a nation's culture with love but point blank locked onto the truth Church, there has to be a change in how we approach the sin of the culture. We will still be persecuted, ostracized, mocked, ridiculed for believing what we believe. We will be called hate mongers, misogynistic, and any number of phobias out there that you might want to label us with. But the reality is we were told that would happen. In this world, you'll have troubles of many kinds. John chapter 16, But Jesus says, take heart because I've overcome the world. You need to be prepared. Troubles are coming because you're a believer in Christ. But you also need to be living a life above reproach. And what that means is to live a life of love fleshed out in your daily life as you are locked into God and he is locked into you through this bond of love because the only way we can truly love is because he first loved us. Okay. Secondly, human anger distorts reality and it promotes selfish pride or selfishness and pride. So it distorts reality. When you get angry, how many of you have distorted thoughts? How many of you, <clears throat> when you get angry about one thing, other things that are just mere annoyances to you on a regular basis become big things? Do you know what I'm asking you? You're really ticked off because you had a bad day at work, but you come home and the kids are like, bleep, 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 bleep. They're just being kids, right? And you're like, stop it! And they're just being kids. Again, personal confession here, it's happened, Right? Human anger distorts reality, and it promotes selfishness and pride. Do you not realize how bad of a day I've had? Do you not know what's going- Can't you have a little sense, common sense? Are you that dull? Do you ever say those kind of, or feel that way? I mean, you may not articulate it, but has it ever popped into your mind? And so we justify our human anger, and we hold on to it, we nurture it, like a cancer in our soul that's going to just eat away at us if we don't deal with it. It distorts reality. The reality is, though, a person's reality can become so distorted that they think killing themselves or killing somebody else would satisfy that anger. you know how many murderers there are in prison who thought they were justified in doing what they did? And some of them maybe... We're doing it in self-defense. Now, I don't want to get on this debate of whether or not killing is right or wrong. But let's be honest. What is one of the Ten Commandments? And it, does, it says, actually, do not murder. And we can debate this until we're blue in the face. But the reality, if we want to be as concrete as possible... What what was God's original intent for humanity before the fall? Had death ever been a part of his design? Death was a possibility within the design of creating a people who could choose to reject him. He knew the possibility existed for evil to enter the world. But his perfect design did not have that as a part of the created order. Do you understand what I'm saying? I was talking to my class this morning. I said, What did the humans eat before the fall? The fruit of the trees. Seriously, go back and read Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. And I want you to note what did the animals eat? The plants, the grains of the field, the grass. Again, this is not me promoting veganism or vegetarianism. I'm just telling you the reality of what the scripture was because guess what? Before the fall, there was no death of any living creature. Plant life, yes, it's a different different thing. Um, so is death a part of God's original design? No. But the reality that when human anger gets into our lives, it begins to distort real issues that becomes so overblown a lot of times in this emotion of human anger that we do things in the rashness of a moment that really can be destructive. Maybe you're not physically killing somebody, but have you assaulted the reputation, the character, or the soul of an individual by the way you've spoken to them? James addresses this in James chapter 3, How can it be the tongue that exists in our mouth can breathe blessings to God and praises to God and yet in the same way curse a brother or sister? The tongue is an evil set on fire by hell, he says. Because when anger takes control of us and distorts the reality, we can set a forest fire of emotion ablaze that destroys just as much Is taking a human life. Thirdly, human anger exempts us from the peace of God. That's really the main point of this whole message. Pastor and author Rosemary Nixon writes Forgiveness opens the way to new life. Inasmuch as we refuse or are unable to forgive, we hold life at a point of offense. Be it personal or national. By refusing to forgive, we say no to new beginnings and a new creation. Jesus Christ teaches us that those who have been forgiven, who are able, Uh, those who have been forgiven are able to forgive. Those who know their sin and their susceptibility to sin are those who know how far that they've fallen away from God's ways. They're the ones who may receive and experience the power of forgiveness. The cross of Christ teaches many things, she says. Among them is the truth that human beings, even religious human beings, prefer their own ways to the ways of God. How true is that? God, I want my way right away. I want to do it my way. I want to be what I want to be. I want to do what I want to do. And I don't want anybody, even you, telling me how I should live my life. The irony of all of that is to run from God is to run from the most real reality you'll ever experience. And to run from God also means to exempt yourself from the purposes God created you for. And you'll continue to search in everything in the world to find what you were created for. But if you're not searching for it in God, you'll always be searching in vain. Though Christ, she goes on to say, the Lord, through Christ, the Lord gave power to human beings to reject and kill the Son of God. Do you catch what he's saying? Let me say that again. Through Christ, the Lord gave power to human beings to reject and kill the Son of God. That can be seen as a weak thing for God to do. Instead of blasting sinful, selfish humankind with the full force of his righteous anger and unimpeachable justice, which he had the right to do, the Lord of all creates the possibility of new life by offering forgiveness and inviting the forgiven to his Thanksgiving banquet through Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, who took the wrath of God, You see, God, instead of pouring that wrath out on you or me, decided to take it out on Himself. We might think that's sadistic or masochistic, but the reality is it doesn't square with our notion of what should be. The gospel never does because it's countercultural. While current attempts to account for human failure by analyzing our genetic makeup, our diets, our parental inheritance, our social and economic environment, our lack of education, our religious upbringing, the government of the day, the media, and many other things may have some value, only the acknowledgement of our human susceptibility to corruption, deceit, greed, envy, lust, and hubris will account for our sin." Such moral failure, she says, can only be transformed by God who takes on himself the cost of forgiveness as a price of new creation. How did God deal with his anger toward us who have sinned and deserve every amount of punishment he could pour out? He turned his anger toward his son, Jesus Christ. And he poured out his wrath on him. You see, this is why Jesus, before he took his last breath, says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because it was in that moment that the wrath of God was poured out on him. That God the Father turned away. And Jesus was all alone. Utterly and completely Sin. Let that set for a moment. God's purpose and desire is not to condemn us to hell, but we leave him no option when we reject him with every breath we take. And if we reject him to our last breath, There is no hope. You see, if you live with unresolved anger that has taken root in your life, that has defined every aspect of your life, your relationships and everything, if you're angry at the world, if you're angry at the people in your life, if you're angry at your circumstances, you can allow that to kill your soul and you can be left with the end result of separation from God for eternity. Human anger does not bring peace from God. It brings destruction to the soul and to the individual. As the worship team comes forward to conclude today, let me close with this. In the spring of 1894, how many of you are alive then? (laughs) Don't raise your hand, Julie. In the spring of 18... No, she raised her hand. I'm not calling her out. She raised... I feel that old sometimes too. In the spring of 1894, the Baltimore Orioles came to Boston to play a routine baseball game. But what happened that day was anything but routine. You see, the Orioles, John McGraw, got into a fight with the Boston third baseman. Within... Minutes, all the players from both teams had joined on the field and started fighting. The war, excuse me, the warfare quickly spread to the grandstands, and among the fans, conflict went from bad to worse. The whole arena was erupting in anger and fighting. Someone set a fire to the stands and the entire ballpark burned to the ground. Not only that, but the fire spread to 107 other buildings in Boston as well. Human anger is like this spark that can start innocently and maybe even justified because somebody has wronged you. But if it's not dealt with immediately, it can become a large fire that destroys everything in your life. Human anger is contagious, too. How many of you have had somebody come to you when they're angry at somebody else? "Oh, I'm so angry at them, and you're like, "Well, tell me what's wrong." And they tell you what's wrong." And they're, "Oh, I'm angry too." <laughs> Ever happened? Yeah, I made the mistake many years ago to get sucked into somebody else's emotions as a pastor. And I made stupid mistakes. There's always two sides to a story. Don't get sucked into somebody else's anger. You help to be the rudder to steer them to Christ. If you're dealing with unresolved anger today, which some of you may be, there is prayer, there is hope. There is one who can help alleviate and take away the anger to give forgiveness, to give you hope, to give restoration, reconciliation to relationships, to heal you from the incident. If you need to be delivered from human anger, today's the day. Why walk out with a personality of anger? Do you like to be defined by that? Some of you might in some weird way because it makes you intimidating and people don't mess with you, but that's not how how we're to be as believers in Christ. If you need prayer to work through anger or any other situation in life, you come to my right, your left. These altars are always open. Somebody will pray with you here. If you just want to pray alone, you come to my left, your right. If you come over here to pray, to deal with these issues, that's between you and God, nobody's going to bother you over here. Pray where you are. Pray at home. Kneel by your couch or your chair. But don't let human anger be unresolved in your life. Because literally, it can kill you, heart, body, soul, and mind. Father, in this place, I pray that your healing work would begin in the hearts and the lives, the souls and the minds and the emotions of those here. And those within an earshot who are watching from home. I pray that you would, as David says in his great psalm of repentance, restore to us the joy of our salvation and renew a right spirit within us, O God. Heal us from the inside out. Give us peace that passes understanding as we let go of the anger that desires to take root in our lives, that we may nurture from time to time, thinking that we're justified. Fill us with a holy sense of purity that can only come from the throne room of grace. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Maine is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.